Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us in our Christmas Day message on how Adam and Eve were wrapped or covered and clothed by God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. That's what he was saying here. That's a description of every man. God has made man, and it's not good for man to be alone. For a man to be alone from God was fatal. It was death for man. And so God breathed his spirit of life. With the presence of God inside Adam, inside man, man became a friend of God. And he's standing there with one word when you got the picture in your mind. Picture the word amazement. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue in our Genesis series study this Christmas week. Picture this. Adam's standing there, and on his face, I want you to picture that he's thinking about what has just happened, right? The Lord God made coats of skin for him and clothed them. That's amazing. And he's standing there with one word when you got the picture in your mind. Picture the word amazement. Adam is standing there in amazement. There's amazement on his face. Well, why is Adam amazed? Well, keep your place here in Genesis 3 and turn to Luke 19.10. But keep your place in Genesis 3. So use some of your fingers there, one finger for there, and and then you turn to Luke 19.10. Okay? That's not so hard. Okay, Luke 19.10. You got it? Good. All right. And here in Luke 19.10, There's the mission statement for the Lord Jesus Christ. Describing himself as the son of man, he says he came. The son of man is come. And he describes what he said here. He said he's described why he came. The son of man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, you keep your finger on that verse there. Okay, that's where we are. All right, you flip back to Genesis 3. It's a little challenging, but you can do it. Okay, Genesis 3, and you look at verse 9. And you see those words. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Now, let a few words in that verse of of 11 just really sink in. The words called unto Adam and the words said unto him. And let this, you got to see, the Lord called unto Adam, and he's pointing at Adam. And the Lord said unto him, see, God went after Adam. And that in mind, you think about uh, Luke 19.10, the son of man is come to seek, to go after And that's what we see the Lord Jesus Christ doing in Genesis. The Lord Jesus Christ came to seek lost Adam. And that's what we see in Luke. The Lord Jesus Christ came to seek lost Zacchaeus. And what have we seen? So when you look at these two, these are thousands of years separated from time, from Genesis and Luke, but that's no problem because Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, he's the same. Yesterday, Today, forever. Okay, now, flip back to, keep your place in Luke. Don't lose that one. It's very complicated. Flip back to Genesis 3, 21, and let these words now sink in. 
about what God did. See, I remember he says, called unto Adam, now says, unto Adam. See, very directive. And to his wife did the Lord God make coats and clothe them. See, now what happened? They were exposed. They needed to be saved from their exposure. And so, so God saved them from their exposure. And now with that in mind, you flip back to Luke here, and you see, and just read the second part of the verse. And to save that which is lost. See? So what do you see in Genesis? You see the Lord Jesus Christ coming to save Adam and his wife. Lost Adam and his wife. And what do you see in Luke? You see the same Lord Jesus Christ coming to save lost Zacchaeus. Again, same yesterday, today, and forever. So Adam's standing there, and he's amazed. And there's a lot of things that's going on in Adam's mind. It's a lot to process in a short amount of time. It's very, there's a lot of things that occurred right here. And, and so he's trying to sort it all out. And, it's, and he's standing there, but he's just amazed because he just understood God tracked him down. He was running. He was the fugitive. He was trying to hide, but he just understood God tracked me down. And then he understood God saved me from my nakedness. He saved me from my nakedness. And he's sitting there amazed because he understood that, you know, I just did this dirty against God. And I'm running away from God. And God comes and tracks me down and saves me. And you know what he's impressed with? The truth of Romans 5.8. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we yet were doing dirty to God, while we yet were running away as fugitives like Adam from God, what happened? He died for us. Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's another reason why Adam is just so amazed because he's starting to think about it. And he realized that he was just thinking these things. Uh, he's saying, now what did I just do to get myself clothed? You know, he's looking at his clothes. And, he said, and he's sitting there and he's thinking, I, I just went to a lot of work. You know, I had to go get the fig leaves. It was a lot of work. You got to go get the fig leaves. You had to, cut, I don't know, cut them, make them, whatever. Tell Eve to do it. And then sew them together, make the aprons, get the size right. Who knows what they look like? And, you know, it was a lot of work, you know, that he was just done, right? And he's kind of standing there, and he's sort of looking at all of that work on the ground there, you know, kind of like all crumpled up and everything. And instead, he's looking at his nice clothes, and he's asking himself, what did I do to get this? Well, I had to do a lot of work to get that. What did I do to get this? And he comes to the conclusion, I didn't have to do anything. As a matter of fact, the only thing I had to do was just let God clothe me. That's all he had to do. Adam just had to sit there and let God. So God didn't say to Adam, now Adam, we got a problem here, but, but don't worry, we'll work together and we'll get it fixed. He says, you go get the animal and I'll kill it and then, you know, I'll, and then I'll skin it. And so you did a pretty good job sewing those fig leaves. So you sew and then you have a nice coat. See, he didn't do that. Adam didn't do anything and he got clothed. What he did do was actually a hindrance because God had to take those clothes off, you know. And... But he did nothing but just let God take those stupid fig leaf aprons off him and clothe them. That's all Adam did. Adam learned the truth. 
when we were sitting there thinking about that, that the Jewish people learned at the Red Sea. When they were standing at the Red Sea, about to be destroyed by the Egyptians, and they're jumping up and down, and Moses has to say to them, stop doing that. He says, stand still in Exodus 14, 13. Fear ye not. Stand still and just see the salvation of the Lord. That's what he said. Which he will show you today. He said, for the Egyptians you have seen today, you'll see him again no more. Forever, he said. When it comes to the work of atonement, we observe that God did everything And the great chapter on the crucifixion of the work of atonement is Psalm 22. And at the end of it, it talks about the seed of the righteous coming. And it says that they declare his righteousness, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that they say, he did it. He hath done this. He did it. That's, That's what it is. Who was saved by the killing of the lamb and the placing of the blood on the doorpost at Passover. Who was saved? Firstborn. The firstborn was saved. But who killed the lamb and and put the blood on the doorposts? The father. The father of the house. And what did the firstborn do to get spared from death? Nothing. And who was saved on Mount Moriah by the killing of the ram instead of himself? Isaac. Isaac was saved, right? And who killed the ram so that Isaac could be saved? Abraham did. Abraham. And what did Isaac do to get saved from death? Did nothing. And who was saved in Isaiah 53 by the killing of the Messiah? The ones who were saved were the sheep that went astray, were the ones that went everyone to his own way. And who killed the Messiah so they could be saved in Isaiah 53? In Isaiah 53, 4. He was stricken, smitten by God, of God. It's Isaiah 53, 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And what did the justified ones, so shall my righteous servant justify many in Isaiah 53. What did the justified ones do in order to be saved? Nothing. What happened to them is Isaiah 53, 5. With his stripes we are healed. They just got healed. They just stood there and got healed like Adam just stood there and got clothed. In a very real sense, we look at Adam's amazement at what was done for him and that he did nothing, and we say, that's what happened to me as a believer. Upon that cross of Jesus, mine eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart with tears, two wonders I confess. The wonders of redeeming love. Whose redeeming love? His redeeming love. And my unworthiness. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? I ca- who caused his pain? I caused his pain. For me, who him to death pursued, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's why it says in Romans 5.11, and it uses these terms, and not only so, but we also join in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, by whom, and here's the words, we have now received the atonement. Adam stood there, he received the new clothes. The firstborn is Passover. He received the exemption, which is what Passover means, Pesach. 
He received it. The justified ones in Isaiah 53, they received the healing. Isaac received salvation from being killed. We received the atonement in Romans 5.11. What did we do to get saved? Nothing. We got saved. Like Adam who stood there and he got clothed. Like Isaac and so forth. Okay. So in our first picture of Adam, we saw him standing there and we said, color him amazed. He looks amazed. He's just amazed at, what, at how God did it all. And, and he did something. What he did do actually got in God's way. Now, the next picture of Adam and Eve is see them there standing. So you see they're there standing there. And now picture them relieved. I don't know how you look relieved, but you look Wow. You, well, you don't look relieved. You go, that's relieved. Okay? So there they are. Picture them. They're relieved. Because in the first part of verse 7 of this chapter, it says the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked. That's tension. So I don't get it. Because they were naked before this. Before they took the thing. They were naked. They are always naked. So, but it wasn't a problem then. Why is it now a problem? Well, before they took the tree, before the separation occurred, the fatal separation, before the fatal aloneness occurred, they were filled with God inside. God was inside of them. And they were in God's presence, so they reflected God. God from the inside, them, they reflected God. That was very good. Nothing to be ashamed about. You looked at them, you said, oh, I can see God. Because they reflected God. So they weren't separated from God. And that that was a pretty sight, okay? But now, their nakedness was a bad thing. Because they didn't have God inside. They had themselves inside. They had their sinfulness inside. And so they were exposed and they felt embarrassed and ashamed and, and dirty. And so that was that, right? <clears throat> so, there was this tension. There was this tension. Now, look at verse 21. Last word, last second last word, clothed. So now they're finally... <sighs> Finally clothed. Finally clothed. Look of relief. Look of relief. Finally clothed. No longer naked. You uh, remember the first step or the first test in the path to repentance, the mirror test. Two possibilities. You see yourself naked. Naked, it says in Revelation 3.17. You can't get clothed until you see yourself naked. And like the hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, run to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's the rock of ages. Now, you feel the tension of the need. The tension of the need. The tension of the nakedness. And so, the next verse in Revelation 3, 18, God says, I counsel thee, buy of me, several things. But one of them, he says, buy of me white raiment. Thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Now, this is what God does. God's in the clothing business. He's a tailor. And And he's in the covering business. And he's covering the shame of nakedness. That's the way God deals with sin. He covers it. And when it happens, it comes with a great relief, like a big burden off your back. Tom, today you talked about Adam being covered after he sinned, and what a beautiful picture that really is. 
how are we like Adam and being covered after we sin? Yeah, it really is a beautiful picture, and it has so much application to us. You know, the Bible is describing things that happened thousands of years ago, but really it's describing the things that are 100% accurate and relevant for us today, right now. And so the picture that we have of Adam being covered after he sinned is so relevant for us because God, that's exactly what God has done for us. And the more we grasp that, the more we will rightfully be like that one leper out of the 10 who was a stranger who turned back after he was healed and with a loud voice, thank God, and that's what we want to be. It says in Psalm 32, 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You see, it's a great blessing that God has covered our sin. God does not have an intention to expose us and to leave us exposed. He wants us to expose, to so to speak, to confess to him that we're sinners, to not cover it ourselves, but to come to him and let him cover it with the blood of the lamb. And so he says, and when this happens, we are called the blessed ones, the happy ones, the most blessed, the most happiest people on earth are the people who have have had their transgressions forgiven by God, whose sins have been covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's what Psalm 32, 1 is saying. That's what it means to be blessed. It's far better than winning the lottery with hundreds of millions of dollars which only lasts as long as we last here on earth, far better than for all eternity. We are known as the ones whose God, whose transgressions God has forgiven. We are known as the one whose sin has been covered by God. It says in Psalm 85, 2, thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people Thou hast covered all their sin. And if you were to say today, what is it about the people of God? What characterizes the people of God different from the all other people. It's described to us in Psalm 85 too. This is a people whose iniquity have been forgiven by God. This is a people whose sin have been covered by God. That is a definition of the people of God. It says there, Isaiah had it so right when he said in in Isaiah 61.10, just a few chapters after the great Isaiah 53, describing the great sacrifice, and as if going through in Psalm 61.10 by telling what came as the great fountain of blessing from the cross of Isaiah 53, he says, here it is. He says, my response, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. We have been covered in the righteousness. That's what it says in Isaiah 53. So shall my righteous servant justify many. We've been clothed in God's righteousness like a robe covered with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that's great. And I, I have heard that before in my Christian life about the covering of the blood of the lamb and, and how God does cover us. But how does that apply to the Jewish people. Yeah, and that's so vitally important because, you know, when we talk about the blood of the Lamb and the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, right in our minds, we unconsciously think, oh, yeah, of course, uh, you know, uh, uh, Christian people, not Jewish people, uh, Gentiles, yes, Christians, not Gent- uh, Gentiles, not Jewish people. But does this have an application for the Jewish people? Absolutely. Because it says in Zechariah twelve ten through 13, it goes through and it show and it describes here the deep earthquake that comes to the soul of the Jewish people when they realized that they have pierced their Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ that they have they have looking on him they're looking on the son like their firstborn son that has died at the hands of their of, of the romans that their leaders put him into it says this in zechariah 12:10 and i will pour upon the house of david and upon the inhabitants of jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications and they shall look upon me this is god speaking this is the lord jesus christ speaking whom they have pierced just think of those words me whom they have pierced. Can you imagine? God saying, me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. And that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadarimon in the valley of Megiddo, and the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, Apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. This is such a this is such a shaking of their souls that the people say we cannot be with any other of our Jewish brothers and sisters, our Jewish families. We have to separate. We have to cry unto God, and lest they should melt in sorrow and remorse and regret, lest they should be consumed in the grief of their soul as if a firstborn has died. Oh, the beauty of the next verse, which is the next chapter, Zechariah 13, 10, when it says, in that day, God does not allow another day to pass after they've come forward here. Remember, we said God does not want them to be consumed in grief. In that very day, in that day, it says, there's shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. You know, we sing the song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. In that day, it's going to be, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein and the house of David and the Jewish people plunge in that and lose all their guilty stains. That's what it means in Zechariah 13, 1. What you have there in Zechariah 12, in the last verses, is Israel confessing their sin to God, taking upon them the full responsibility for it, 
being grieved for it and say, this is worse than if I lost my only son. And all the wailing and the grief of it all and the crying out to God and the families, we can picture it as we picture it. It terrifies our soul just to think of this as the screaming and yelling and is heard throughout all the land of Israel of them crying out to God, what have we done? What have we done? Their souls cry out. Their hearts cry out. Without comfort, they go through this. But God says, there will not be another day of this because in that very day, God says, open the fountain now. And the house of David comes streaming forward. They come streaming and they say, where can we find the forgiveness of God? Where can we find the cleansing for our sin? And God says, right here in this fountain, because the blood that was shed there 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem by the Lord Jesus Christ was the blood that was shed for you. I've been waiting for you. What has took you so long? And what a wonderful day that will be when for sin and uncleanness, they're cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Now, what's the greatest gift that you can give anyone at Christmas? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to offer that to you today in the form of Tom Cantor's Life Testimony DVD. It's got the gospel in it and an amazing story of what the Lord Jesus Christ did in this Jewish man's heart to create and make him a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and become a Christian. We'd like to get a copy of this DVD and booklet into your hands so that you can give it to a lost person, especially if you know someone who's a lost Jewish person. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. And you can give them the gift that will keep on giving throughout all eternity. 1-800-247-3051. Merry Christmas and join us again tomorrow.